0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASIAL Security Insider podcast and our guest today is Roman Quadvlieg. Roman is a former commissioner of the Australian Border Force and a former Australian Federal Police Assistant Commissioner. Since leaving government service, Roman has taken on the role of partner and director at Excellium, a cybersecurity consultancy specialising in the protection of critical infrastructure. Roman is also a non-executive board member with Codex Security Ventures Australia, who specialise in all sorts of uh, interesting and innovative security automation services, which is what we are going to be talking about today. Roman, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Pleasure to be with you. So that's quite the... Uh, quite the cv that you've got there having been both the commissioner of australian border force and i believe you were the inaugural commissioner of australian border force you got the whole thing up and running is that correct yeah that's right i um the the, the preceding
1: role was uh, i was the ceo of uh, customs um and after we uh effected a operation called operational sovereign borders which was dealing with a very large irregular migration problem on our Northwest Maritime Corridors. Once uh, the then Minister Scott Morrison had uh, completed that mission, his next one was to uh, amalgamate the two Department of State Immigration and Customs into a single organisation. I was a uh, a part of the leadership group that led that. uh, And arising out of that uh, was the establishment of the Australian Border Force, of which I was then appointed, as you indicated, the inaugural Border Force Commissioner.
0: Wow. And so I imagine that role uh, saw you take on a whole range of responsibilities from, as you've mentioned in things in the past, your book and and other bits and pieces, you know, international money laundering, people trafficking, customs, uh, all sorts of stuff. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the the role itself. Yeah,
1: the the role... uh, had quite a broad remit. Um, you've referenced some of the responsibilities there. Um, I, I try and simplify it by saying it's about um, ensuring the legal movement of goods and people and intervening on the illegal movement of goods and people. Um, simplification, of course, of a very complex operating environment. Um, but in the context of delivering a border security capability Ability uh, that goes well beyond, and has been for a while, well beyond having good, talented, energetic and motivated people. It also marries up with the ability to be able to analyse ever-increasing uh, volumes of very complex and structured and unstructured data. And clearly, uh, as per the theme of this particular podcast, uh, the evolution of application and leveraging of technology uh, because the sheer numbers not just in data size but the sheer number of movements uh, of people and trade across our borders ingress and egress uh, has some time ago gone beyond the ability of the capacity of our border agencies to deal with yeah
0: now Those people listening to this being security managers, security um, providers, security systems, integrators, and all the rest of the people who work in and around the security space would well be aware that COVID ended up presenting a number of significant challenges for the security industry, one of which was the closing down of a lot of venues, live entertainment venues, sporting venues, and all sorts of other things, which meant that we saw a huge migration of the... um, people power section of the security industry out of the industry into other roles and other industries like traffic management, warehouse working and all sorts of things. And as a result, we have had a significant challenge over the last couple of years trying to get people back in and may not potentially ever get people back into the same levels that we had before, which means we need to find smarter, better, more innovative ways of tackling some of those traditional security challenges using technology. And I imagine this is where your role with Codex Security Ventures Australia comes into the fore. Can you tell us a little bit about that organisation and and what it is that you're doing there?
1: Yeah, thanks, John. And I will. Um, I'm just going to reinforce the point that you made in the preamble to that question. And it's it's quite an inflection, but COVID was quite an inflection point as you indicate in terms of flight from the security industry. Uh, but moreover, uh, its longitudinal effect of the inability to reattract uh, those that fled from the industry back to the industry. And to me, uh, whilst COVID was a precipitating factor in that, that tells me uh, that there's an underlying lack of incentive and attraction to the industry, which I believe um, we have some answers for as a security industry as a whole in the application of technology. And that's where um, CODEC as an organisation was born. Um, The organisation was a result of six or seven security industry Technologists and venturists um, coming together over a period of time and realizing that um, within the security industry as a whole, there is a reliance on manpower. And I use that in absolute gender neutral terms. uh, And there always will be a a reliance on a human person to make uh, judgments around. The triaging of incidents, uh, whether it requires a response, what kind of response it requires, uh, the application of that response uh, once it's occurred, uh, post incident review, continuous improvement. Um, and those are those are subjective roles that, in my view, even with the advent of AI, can never be replaced uh, with technology. Um, And so when Codec formed, uh, we were of the view that we want to, as much as possible, augment the security industry with technology to undertake those high volume, low value tasks, what's sometimes referred to as the noise, uh, in order to free up the human beings to undertake the high-value tasks that I just described, and whilst Kodak, um, in its collateral and in its engagement, and I'll use this term here today, talk about robots because robots sound sexy and they are the manifestation of the solution. Um, the real solution is technology. It's uh, if you think about how to augment a security operation, whatever context in the future. And you pose the question, can you create a better preventative and response solution with the augmentation of technology? The answer is yes. What that technology is, that will come in various different forms. It will come in robot forms, and we've got a great partnership with Cobot Robotics, which I'll talk about in a moment, Uh, but it could be aerial drones. It could be AI platforms sitting over the top of a whole bunch of ingested feeds, whether that's CCTV or electronic access control or any other feeds for that matter. So my view, very, very strongly, and I'm, I'm firmly of this opinion, as is the codec team, that technological augmentation of security is inevitable
0: yeah i i think that's the big thing moving forward though there's you know we we have a number of significant international events for example uh coming up over the next 10 years and for fear of kicking over a hornet's nest that we don't want to get into we're just going to ignore the commonwealth games but we have um you know, the men's and women's rugby world cups coming up in the next couple of years. We have the Olympics taking place. Uh, we have a number of major international events. And as we stand at the moment, I, think, I don't think there's too many people around who would argue that we would be hard pressed to resource those events with people in the way that we have in previous iterations of such events. Uh, so it's going to be, to my mind, how do we rationalize the resources available to us through the augmentation of technology like you pointed to before and this is where I want to talk a little bit about where you see trends and challenges and opportunities because like any sort of technical evolution in any industrial space there's leading edge and bleeding edge And there are a lot of organisations like Nightscope, for example, in the US who jumped into this space quite some years ago and said robotics is going to be the way of the future. And you can burn a lot of capital developing solutions to problems that don't yet exist because in any sort of innovation space, the trick is to find the genuine problem that everyone's trying to solve and then develop an innovative solution to that problem as opposed to developing a solution and then going out and trying to find the problem that that solution works for so with regard to robotics and drones and all the rest of it i apologize for the long question but with regard to the things that you are looking at you know Tell me a little bit about where you're focusing your attention and and what the trends are that have caused you to focus in those areas. Yep.
1: Good observations in there, John. Um, I think um, the what I've seen in the security industry in particular um, – no, no, let me rephrase. What I've seen in the event space is a growing demand and um, – and and execution of events such as those that you have described. There is certainly since um, we got over the challenge of COVID, there has been an uptick of demand for public events, whether they're sporting events, whether they're um, entertainment events. Um, There seems to be an increasing appetite in that. Um, And those sorts of events, those sort of mass gathering events, we have traditionally viewed as uh, a, at risk for um, terrorist attacks. Uh, they became an attractive target. And through my role on the ANZ Counterterrorism Committee, we put a lot of effort and time and research and capacity building and funding into state and municipal-based organizations to provide a better um, security posture to protect against those, uh, those attacks on mass gathering, the multimodal attacks that were conducted by the ISIS-type um, or the ISIS-inspired events. Um, that has moved on a little bit. Um, that threat still exists, but as most security professionals know, the threat level has been dropped from probable to possible. That's a great testament to um, the work of security authorities around the world in Australia, uh, but you can't discount that threat, uh, particularly those that may uh, be emanating from uh, from lone actors or small cell actors uh, who may be inspired by that type of ideology. Um, but mass gatherings are now also uh, very much at risk of um, larger uh, panic type events um, where there's a congestion which creates sort of a crowd surging issues which we've seen um, happen in other parts of the world where significant deaths and injuries occur. Um, those events are also subject to threats of a technological nature. Um, so as we all know, a lot of these events are held uh, at night time. the ingress and egress of crowds are controlled through operational technology in terms of gates and ticket readers, etc. Any uh, malware or ransomware or other hack- activist type attack um, on the tech systems would uh, seriously disrupt those events to the point that they don't occur. So then you get a sort of a an amenity deg- degradation. You get a um, you know a, a disruption of social social capital. So there's a whole bunch of uh, different types of threats that sort of come into play in in terms of the um, the running of those types of events. And I'm, I'm apologising in, in reciprocity here for my long-winded answer, but no, it's um, fine. My view is that um, the the quality of those events, from a social enjoyment perspective, uh, is added to by um, less intrusive security, as opposed to having significant um, levels of. Overt and visible and interventionist security, your traditional physical bag searches, um, your wanding, um, walk through metal detectors, um, crowd controllers. um, There's a whole range of potential balances here that are in the in the in play in terms of. a security effect versus the 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 effect it has on on crowds and the running those events and that's where in my view technology plays a big role and I I, and I mean that not just from a pure security threat identification and response perspective uh but also from from the management of crowds and if I give you an example of that um the uh the evolution of aerial drones um and the imaging from those drones Uh, provides the ability for venue operators or event operators to get much better situational awareness of um, not just crowd numbers and concentration of crowds and uh, crowds coming in through particular routes, but there's some really clever technology around now where uh, mood and crowd sentiment can be measured through micro expressions, through um, uh, anomalous pattern detection in crowds, et cetera, which gives early preventative uh, information that allows positioning of security resources and or responses. So that sort of early identification and prevention um, functions are enabled by technology.
0: Yeah. And and I guess to that end, there's a lot there that can be done when we look at the integration of various disparate systems. If we look at using Cameras to detect micro expressions. If we look at using geofencing of of social media to see uh, if we detect a micro expression that might lead to some sort of duplicitous behaviour, and then see who that person is potentially communicating within with, within the range of the stadium, uh, see what sorts of traffic they're generating online and social media. It's not inconceivable, I imagine to then, if there were an incident, and let's take this to its broadest, most extreme scale, um, let's say we had um, dirigible hot air balloons with cameras mounted on them floating around uh, the MCG precinct or around Melbourne uh, on a 24-hour rotational basis. It would then be possible to actually track back through the footage and see well, what vehicle did that person arrive in? Where did that, if we can backtrack the movements of that vehicle to the location from which it originated, who's living in that house? What other people have been to that house in the last few months? I mean, is this the kind of thing that you're talking about?
1: Absolutely. Uh, So that retroactive application of imaging is very important in the context of post-incident review, analysis, investigation, And many a times um, true crime uh, fans will know that uh, offenders have been caught through retroactive analysis of CCTV systems, whether they're public or private. Um, But even more so, if I can sort of take that a little bit further, uh, there is now um, some very uh, leading edge technology around the uh, analysis of imaging. So, if I give you an example of that, um, we are, and I, I won't mention the airport by name, but we have put a um, one of our cobalt robots into a major global airport uh, under a trial. Um, we are, and that robot itself has um, over sixty sensors on board, which go well beyond um, the centers required for a security effect Um, it can identify changes in humidity detect chemicals in the air temperature changes Uh, it can detect spillages or um, moisture on the floor where there's a slip risk etc so there's a there's a whole uh, facilities management functionality that is tethered to the security functionality on this particular cobalt robot that we have But we are going to um, optimise that sensory equipment even further. That goes in answer to your question. We are partnering uh, with a um, wonderful Australian sovereign uh, data analytics technology called True Recognition uh, down in Melbourne and I'm going to give you the layperson's version version here for the non-tech guys. Oh, oh, you still got me? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sorry, sorry, I thought I just got a prompt on my screen setting my way up. Um, where the uh, the the data from any number of visual feeds can be brought into a single platform, let's call it a, CC, uh, a whole bunch of CCTV cameras coming into a single platform, that feed there gets split out into multiple instances of the same feed, and for each of those feeds, uh, an end operator or a client in this particular case can switch on a different style of analytics. It might be, uh, it might be facial recognition. Um, may not be. That's not uh, that not particularly um, in an upward trajectory in terms of uh, um, a whole bunch of privacy uh, advocacy issues. Um, It might be analytics around movement patterns. It might be analytics um, around some other um, detection system. And so a client uh, could be looking at 12 different data analytical tools on a single form of ingested CCTV. Now, when you think about that in the context of um, monitoring early detection Uh, of threats and coordinating your response resources, that is a uh, significant and evolutionary step forward in terms of preventative security.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's not too dissimilar, to use a crude analogy, to what we do with... um airport baggage screening really where the more advanced baggage screening systems are looking at at items going through from multiple different angles using multiple different data sets to determine the difference between organic, inorganic, electronic, um, you know potential explosives and so on and it's only by having that holistic data set which is what you're describing that we get the best overall picture because every test every technology is going to have strengths and weaknesses so the more we can stack those layers of technology and analytics the better the picture that we're going to get which brings me to I guess one of the questions I would ask you know I've got two more in sort of wrapping this up where where do you see the trends in the technological space in the security industry occurring over the next few years I think very much
1: um, the 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 manpower that's expended uh, on what I described earlier as that high volume, low risk activity. Um, so the patrolling and the first response and triaging, I think very much will um, see increasing adoption of technology. And you mentioned earlier. Um, and Nightscope, that was a company that, yes, it created a solution to a potential problem. Um, But I think that in the context of um, situations where you have large precincts um, or sprawling precincts, whether they're buildings, warehouses, venues, might be port ecosystems, um, if you have the capacity to implement um, a set of patrolling functions in a technological way, so you may have a terrestrial robot with all those sensors I described earlier uh, conducting patrols um, in the internal inside the perimeter of, of a building. Um, the Cobalt robots, for example, um, are so advanced they can integrate into the um, into the smart building functionalities of most modern buildings, got the ability to call lifts electronically, um, can go up, up and down multiple floors. You can set them on a patrolling pattern across every single floor of that building. And as I indicated earlier, uh, not only will it provide um, security censoring in the context of missing items open doors uh people on site who uh, aren't supposed to be on site um, can conduct access pass inspections etc but as it's doing those patrols it can also conduct sensory functionality for building maintenance you know lights on and uh Cleaning areas that required to be cleaned. It'll do humidity, temperature, tech checks during the night. To provide alarms, etc. So, a a uh, a building owner uh, can get a triple functionality out of a single robot. It has a security functionality which is non-intrusive. It has the facilities management functionality and all the censoring. And thirdly. Uh, has a concierge functionality by putting that robot in on the ground floor, where it can assist with the wayfinding and uh, other things like building inductions, etc. So I, I see those sorts of uh, those sort that sorts of technology, including aerial drones, very much being part of the patrolling, uh, the the standard patrolling. First response in the context of there's an incident, you can deploy either a, a drone or a terrestrial robot to an incident. Let's say, for example, an alarm is fenced or there's a particular door that's breached because the read switches have just been disconnected. Uh, you can actually direct technology to that. One of those uh, pieces of technology can actually do an assessment in and of themselves, but with the COBOT robots, what we have is a human in the loop, so we have a global uh, operations centre that's start 24-7 by, uh, by army and military veterans from around the world, uh, and they can conduct a subjective human triaging of the response that the technology has responded to. They can also perform other functions if there is a uh, someone working late at night that feels a bit vulnerable walking down to the car park. Um, They can go and request a security escort and the robot can escort them along, but there's also a human in the loop to conduct any triaging or reassurance or calling of emergency services. So I really see um, that as being a significant role for technology. And the other one, uh, to answer your question, John, is in the, um, the, the analysis of incoming sensor feeds. They are so prolific and prevalent now, um, there is simply too much data coming into operation centres for any human being to properly assess in near real time to make it effective. Uh, And technology has the ability to cut out all that noise um, and provide a early triaging notification to a human who can then make the final triaging decision. So I, I do think that'll occur. But I'll finish on this point. I think that you alluded to some of the challenges in the space or technology in the form of things on screens or software. They're relatively acceptable and tolerable to our broad clientele. But when you start putting things like robots into buildings or precincts or warehouses or to venues, there's still, I think, in my view, probably another five to ten years of adoption in that space. You know, there there are the concerns around the uh, the 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 reaction of the public to robots. There's a whole philosophy of what they call the uncanny valley. We can talk untalk talk about some other time in terms of how humanoid a robot looks and the interactive nature of that with human beings. There are uh, issues around liability. You don't want members of the public tripping over robots that are zooming around the um the, the the foyer of a building so that needs to be resolved there are also i think some industrial issues to just uh, get over uh what we don't want to get into is this uh rhetoric around um technology or robots will take over human jobs that is not the case but there will be some Uh, Some resistance to that I think in the in the in the next five or 10 years. So there are a number of challenges in terms of um, technological augmentation of uh, security in in the manpower space. But to my earlier point, I think it's inevitable. Yeah
0: for sure. Now you've written an interesting article around this in uh, in the most recent issue of uh, Aziel Security Insider magazine. So for anyone who's wanting to know more, you can you can find that on the Aziel website or you can contact Aziel to get a copy sent out if you haven't already. You also have a book out, Roman. Tell me about the the book briefly and where people find that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I wrote uh, I wrote a book uh, to the force uh biographical
0: in nature yep we've uh um, it sorry, starts you, from my very sorry uh, you, f- you froze there you froze there for a moment roman so if we can go back to sorry? you you froze there for a moment so if we can go back to you introducing your book and telling us a bit about what that's about
1: Yeah, thanks, John. Um, yes, I wrote uh, Tour de Force uh, when I first left the public service uh, a few years ago now. It's uh, biographical in nature. It um, essentially starts from when I first set uh, foot on the beat in Fortitude Valley in Queensland as a young cop. Works his way through my time as a detective in the s- tactical assault group in Queensland, significant period of undercover work in organised crime and steps through my uh, career t- trajectory into uh, policing and the Border Force and uh, my rather controversial exit from um, from the Border Force and uh, uh, it stops at that point. That was um, some four or five years ago now, and I've got a lot more content now. I, I, I might be coming out with a
0: sequel. Excellent. And uh, if people want to know more about the, the work that you're doing in the security technology space, uh, how do they contact you? Uh, look, they can contact me um, at uh, Roman,
1: R-O-M-A-N, at Security C-O-D-E-C,
0: security, all one word, dot com. Fantastic. Well, Roman, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting to you, and we look forward to catching up to you in the future. Thanks, John. has been a pleasure. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, if you've enjoyed this podcast, there are plenty more like this one in the ASIAL Security Insider series. You can find them on uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Blurberry, uh, the Google Play Store, and all the other great places that you can find amazing podcasts. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Have a great day.